This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. It's 1986 and they seem to be everywhere. Turn on the radio and you hear them. Walk into any record shop and the records are front and center. Turn on MTV. Yep, it's them. At this point in the 80s, the world of hip-hop has been growing by leaps and bounds. But this is something completely different. As a three-member group from Hollis, Queens, is taking hip-hop further than it's ever been. I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast that looks back on a decade that forever changed the way we dress, consume, and connected. And today, it's a look back on the iconic hip-hop trio that were the kings of rock and the kings of rap. They changed hip-hop, the music world, and pop culture all at the same time. They crashed through walls, cut through floors, busted through ceilings, and knocked down doors. This is a history of Run DMC. As a kid of the 80s, I grew up loving hip-hop. The entire genre and performers mesmerized me. The hard-hitting beats, rhymes, and personas had me instantly hooked. Because of my age, I was a little late to the scene, but by the mid-80s and beyond, I discovered the artists that had already made names for themselves. Rakim, Cool Mo D, LL Cool J, Slick Rick, the Beastie Boys, and Public Enemy were just some of the artists I loved. I even had an iced tea tape that I got from a friend that I had to hide under my bed in fear of my mother finding it. But there were also the artists that you heard on the radio and had music videos constantly playing. I loved those artists too. And Young MC, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, Tone Loke, and even MC Hammer helped hip-hop spread to a wider audience. But this may have not been possible without three legendary performers from Hollis, Queens. To start this whole story, we have to travel back to the 1970s and the birth of hip-hop itself. I have a previous episode about the history of breakdancing, which tells the story of how hip-hop and breaking emerged alongside each other. But hip-hop can trace its roots back to the Bronx during the 70s. Thanks to artists like DJ Cool Herc, parties in the Bronx became all about dancing, breaking, and battling. This was because Herc found that if you took two copies of the same record, you could extend the break portion, the part of the song where the other instruments drop out and you're left with the beat, for an indefinite period of time. When the break part of the song came on, everybody flooded the dance floor, especially the break dancers. 
The B-Boys and B-Girls use the breakbeats to showcase their unique breaking skills. Because the break portions of songs didn't have any vocals over them, it was also easy for the Master of Ceremonies, or MC, to make announcements on behalf of the DJ. But the MC still needed to keep the energy up and get everyone hyped while announcing things like when the next party would be, where it would be, and how great the DJ was. The announcements over the beat soon turned into bragging, which turned into rehearsed lines, which turned into rhyming, and the birth of a brand new art form. Through the 70s and into the early 80s, through the slower process of sharing cassette tapes, hip-hop still quickly spread through the five boroughs of New York and soon made its way across the country. Early pioneers like the Treacherous Three and the Furious Five helped grow the art form. Eventually, hip-hop made it to radio, thanks to other pioneers like Grandmaster Flash, the Funky 4 Plus One, Fab Five Freddy, and the Sugar Hill Gang. When the band Blondie released their 1981 song called Rapture, the whole world heard lead singer Debbie Harry do something that many people hadn't heard before. Rapping. Blondie embraced the hip-hop scene and artists like Fab Five Freddy. Thanks to Blondie's mainstream success, a light shone in this new musical style called hip-hop. And through the 70s and into the early 80s, three individuals got caught up in hip-hop culture. Joseph Simmons, Daryl McDaniels, and Jason Mizell. Joseph Simmons grew up in Hollis, Queens, with an older brother named Russell. His older brother got into hip-hop promotion, became the manager for the artist Curtis Blow, and would go on to form the record label Def Jam. Joseph Simmons was also a DJ who performed with Curtis Blow and went by the name DJ Run. Jay Mazzell, also a DJ who went by the name Jazzy Jace, had already built the name for himself within the boroughs. The world would soon know him as Jam Master Jay. Daryl McDaniels, better known as DMC, grew up with a love of comic books and superheroes along with drawing and writing. In a 2016 interview with McLean's, McDaniels explains how instead of pretending to be Batman or Superman, he just envisioned himself as a famous rapper like Grandmaster Flash. Joseph Simmons and McDaniels were already friends and had a shared love of hip-hop. Eventually, while rapping in a park, they connected with Mizell, and the trio soon formed their own group. And luckily, they had instant access to a manager, Joseph's older brother, Russell. Under the name Run DMC, the group signed with Profile Records, something McDaniels wasn't exactly thrilled about. In his interview with McLean's, McDaniels, who was still in school, hated having to go all the way to some lawyer's offices on a school night. But he had no idea what this trio was about to become. Now, it's time to make a record, 
and unleash Run DMC on the world. In the 2003 release of their greatest hits, an included booklet shares the story of how producer Larry Smith created a unique backing track that would be perfect for hip-hop. He was also aware of the writing prowess of a young Joseph Simmons, a.k.a. Run, and paid Simmons $100 for a set of lyrics with the intention of Curtis Blow using them. Quote, One evening in Smith's home studio in Queens, Run and D persuaded Larry and Russell Simmons to let them have a chance to make a demo. Unquote. Simmons then took the lines written by Run and the additional lines contributed by DMC and split them between the two who quickly laid down their intense vocals onto the track. That track became the song It's Like That, one of the first singles for their 1984 debut release, the self-titled album called Run DMC. With this album, the trio wanted to fit in with other big hip-hop artists like Melly Mel, The Furious Five, and The Cold Crush Brothers, but make it unique by not rapping over the same James Brown and jazz samples everyone else was doing. The other main single, called Sucker MCs, featured rhyming over just a beat. But everything officially kicked off in 1983 with the release of It's Like That and Sucker MCs. It's Like That was not only a hard-hitting, aggressive-sounding single, but also spoke to what was happening in their community and in the world. We often think of the 1980s as a time of excess, yuppies, car phones, and Wall Street, but that wasn't the case at the start of the decade, especially in New York. Things everywhere just weren't great. We were coming out of the energy crisis of the 70s, It was a period of double-digit inflation hitting nearly 15%. There was recession, and unemployment was incredibly high. In the song It's Like That, Run DMC reflects on the state of the world in the early 80s, with mentions of how high unemployment was, and lines like, Bills rise higher every day, and we receive much lower pay. People in the world are trying to make ends meet. And... We're told that money is the key to end all our woes. This reflected what they were seeing all around them. Simmons rhymes that he'd rather stay young, go out and play. It's like that, and that's the way it is. But this was the song that broke through for not just Run DMC, but for hip-hop. In their 2009 Hall of Fame induction essay, Alan Light writes that It's Like That was the shot heard round the world and compares it to genre-changing songs like I Want to Hold Your Hand by The Beatles and Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. It's Like That was the announcement that Run DMC was here and a new era in hip-hop was beginning. It seems hard to believe that this song goes all the way back to 1983. The style of rhyming is different than today, but there's still an energy and intensity to it that feels timeless, despite the song being 41 years old now. In 1983, a 41-year-old song would have been one that came out during the Second World War. 
When Run DMC's first album dropped in 1984, it was clear that this group was about more than just this unique song. Besides It's Like That and Sucker MCs, the songs Hard Times and Jam Master J are big parts of this album. And then there is Rockbox, the third single off the album, and one that might be one of the most important of the 1980s. Rockbox stood out from all other hip-hop songs as it featured a hard-rocking, distorted electric guitar. The show AMC's Hip Hop considers Rockbox as one of the songs that shook America. A 2019 article on OKPlayer.com described Rockbox as, quote, the song that brought black and white people together, unquote. Run DMC didn't want to record a song that conformed to the, quote, genre and racial confines of the time, but created the song from their influences which included rock music. Run DMC loved hip-hop, of course, but also loved bands like Queen and Billy Squire. In his 2017 memoir, Daryl McDaniel shares that he's loved everything from Gordon Lightfoot to Grandmaster Flash, Sarah McLaughlin to Henry Chapin, who sang the original Cats in the Cradle. The AMC special considers the song Rockbox as one, quote, that broke racial barriers and united groups of people once segregated by music choice, unquote. Amir Questlove Thompson, the drummer for The Roots, calls Rockbox, with its electric guitar and hip-hop vocals over top of it, as the sound of the 80s. It blended rock and rap together, and crossed over into the mainstream. Its success was considered improbable, and Rockbox is also unique as it was the first rap video to play on MTV. The AMC special shares how this was during a time when MTV was playing almost exclusively white artists. In a 1983 interview with MTV, David Bowie calls them out for not spotlighting black artists. OK Player shares how Epic Records threatened to take the label's entire roster off MTV if they didn't play Michael Jackson's video for Beat It. Run DMC was already popular, and it was still a ridiculously drawn-out process to get Rockbox on the network. And that was just TV. Run DMC had already been facing adversity from trying to play in clubs where promoters didn't believe they were a legitimate musical act because it was just the three of them with a turntable. They didn't have a band like rock musicians did. But ultimately, Run DMC had got a video on MTV. And the rock-rap connection would only continue to grow especially in a few years when Run DMC teamed up with a popular band from the 70s who hadn't had a hit in a while, but would have their career resurrected after being introduced to a whole new generation. Everything 80s will return after these messages. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. 
At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at sax.com. Run DMC's debut album not only had a standout single and a video on MTV, but it was a critical hit. Rolling Stone ranks at number 51 on its list of the 100 greatest albums from the 80s, and number 240 on its list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. Run DMC's debut album went gold, meaning it sold a half million copies and even hit number 53 on the Billboard Top 200. But for any artist, it's one thing to have a big debut album. The big question is, how are you going to follow it? In some ways, the follow-up album for a band or artist is the most important as it shows you're not a fluke or a one-hit wonder. Could Run DMC keep this momentum going? Well, we didn't have to wait long to find out. Less than one year after their incredible debut, Run DMC released King of Rock, This album solidified their role as the kings of not just rap, but now rock. The 1985 album opens with the song Rock the House, before moving into another one of the group's defining songs, King of Rock. That song opens with one of the most iconic lines in the history of hip-hop. I'm the king of rock, there is none higher. Sucker MCs should call me sire. Featuring more electric guitar by session guitar legend Eddie Martinez, other songs featuring Martinez, who also played guitar on Rockbox, include Can You Rock Like This and You're Blind. But this album was more than just a focus on the rock sound mixed with rap, as it continued to evolve the sound of hip-hop, like the song Roots Rap Reggae. This song combines Run DMC with Jamaican group Yellow Card. Run DMC had created one of the first few tracks that combined rap and dancehall music. Apple Music describes this song as laying the groundwork for more genre-defining artists like Beanie Man and Sean Paul. The King of Rock album is also notable as the song Can You Rock Like This was written by a guest writer a teenager named James Todd Smith, who was also trying to make his way in the world of hip-hop. In a few years, the world would most definitely know him, but by the name LL Cool J. That follow-up album for an artist after a successful debut is often the toughest. Bands and artists often have years to craft their first album and can take their time. If that album is a hit, high demand comes for a quick follow-up, and that's when the wheels can fall off. This was not an issue with King of Rock. The band's second album went to number 12 on the R&B hip-hop charts and was certified platinum, which is 1 million sales. The very first hip-hop album to do so. 
the music world was changing and Run DMC helped to change it. Along with that, music technology was also changing and Run DMC was a part of that too. According to Apple Music, King of Rock was the very first hip-hop record to be issued on Compact Disc. The success of their debut album and now King of Rock led to a huge arena tour for Run DMC and then an appearance at a unique event in 1985. One night in the UK, Bob Geldof was watching the news and was astonished by the famine happening in Ethiopia. People were starving and he wanted to do something to help. This led to the supergroup single called Do They Know It's Christmas. Across the pond, another group of superstar artists assembles for one of the most unique nights in pop music history. This group called USA for Africa records the song We Are the World. And that's when Bob Geldof envisions something. A giant concert featuring the best artists of the day broadcast around the world and used to raise money for Africa. That event was called Live Aid, and it took place on Saturday, July 13th, 1985. 16 hours of live music in aid of famine relief in Africa. Split between London, England and Philadelphia in the United States, the giant concert featured the who's who of the music industry, including the group from Hollis, Queens, the only hip-hop group that was part of Live Aid. If you grew up during Live Aid, you remember how gigantic this event was. CNN reported that up to 1.9 billion people across 150 countries watched this event. And now the world got to witness the new kings of hip-hop live from Philly. This monumental moment would be immortalized in a song on their next album. The album would not only become their most successful, but one of the greatest albums of all time. Released in 1986, the album Raising Hell took Run DMC and hip-hop to yet an even higher level. Produced by the legendary Rick Rubin, who was only 22 at the time, Raising Hell kicks off with the song Peter Piper, a technically impressive back-and-forth lyrical rhyming showcase featuring classic nursery rhymes, but with a focus on how elite Jam Master Jay was. This is followed by one of the greatest hip-hop songs ever, It's Tricky. It's Tricky continued on with the rock rap sound, as did another track on this album. Run DMC still wasn't getting a ton of airplay on MTV, and according to a 2020 People magazine article, Rick Rubin wanted them to reach the suburban rock-obsessed teen like he had once been. The band had been playing around with a sample from a 1975 album by a band that just wasn't at the heights they were in the 70s. The album was called Toys in the Attic. The band, Aerosmith. One of the songs off this album was called Walk This Way, and Ruben came up with an idea. Run DMC should cover this song. 
The trio, who had never heard of Aerosmith before they found toys in the attic, needed a lot of convincing. But eventually, they reached out to Aerosmith with a proposal. Aerosmith also needed some convincing, but the idea was to combine the past and the future of music together with the ultimate rock-rap combination. Lead singer Steven Tyler agreed, but with one major caveat. Just don't make fools of us, he asked. Steven Tyler and guitarist Joe Perry eventually came in to record the song with Run DMC. The two bands captured magic and created an instant hit with a song that is also recognizable in the first few seconds because of its legendary drumbeat intro. But just as important as the song was the iconic music video for Walk This Way. The video features Run DMC and Aerosmith performing, but divided by a wall. In a symbolic move, the wall is busted open, and both groups eventually appear together on stage at a concert. It was a literal breaking down of the walls that separated rock and rap. This song and video showed that rock and hip-hop could exist together. The song and video both took off, and now hip-hop was being played on rock radio. The song was not only a huge hit for Run DMC, but gave Aerosmith a new life, a new audience, and a career resurgence. But there are still other standout songs on Raising Hell, such as You Be Illin, Proud to Be Black, and Is It Live? The song Perfection featuring rhyming over live drums, was done in one take. The song Raising Hell is another hard-hitting rock-rap crossover that almost verges on metal. Then there is the song My Adidas, a love letter to the iconic three-stripe sneaker. Adidas goes back to the early 1900s and eventually became a trusted shoe for Olympic athletes, tennis player Rod Laver, and Dick Fosbury, creator of the Fosbury flop high jumping technique. In the song My Adidas, Run DMC wasn't bragging about how many sneakers they own, but how great their Adidas were. Everywhere they went, their Adidas went with them. Quote, my Adidas and me, Close as can be. We make a mean team, my Adidas and me. We get around together. We're down forever. As told on the Adidas Group website, Adidas didn't even know about Run DMC's love of their shoes until at a concert with 40,000 people when Run DMC held up the three-stripe shoes on stage. And in the crowd that night was an employee of Adidas. We'll pick up this story in a minute. Also mentioned right at the start of the song My Adidas was Run DMC's legendary performance at Live Aid in 1985. Quote, My Adidas walked through concert doors and roam all over Coliseum floors. I stepped on stage at Live Aid. All the people gave and the poor got paid. Raising Hell is the album that took Run DMC from hip-hop stars to fully mainstream. Apple Music calls Raising Hell the moment when rappers became rock stars 
DJs became the new bands, and an underground phenomenon was officially part of the mainstream. Raising Hell hit number three on the Billboard Top 200, number one on the R&B hip-hop charts, and went triple platinum in the U.S., platinum here in Canada, silver in the U.K., and gold in New Zealand. It's an album that appears on pretty much every list of the greatest albums of all time, including Time's 100 Greatest Albums Ever and ranked number 123 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. Raising Hell was even nominated for a Grammy Award. But because there wasn't a hip-hop or rap category yet, the album was included in the 29th Annual Grammy Awards for Best R&B Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocals, and it eventually lost to Prince. It would be a few years until the Grammys added a rap category, which Run DMC was instrumental in creating. Because of the success of this album and Walk This Way, Run DMC became the first hip-hop group featured on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. Raising Hell was an era-defining, world-changing album. The 1980s is one of those unique decades because of its definitive styles. The looks of the decade are one of the most identifying things of it. Acid-washed jeans, crimped hair, leg warmers, and neon colors represent just some of those particular aesthetics. And when it came to hip-hop, there was another defining 1980s look made popular by Run DMC. The tracksuit with Adidas shoes, leather jackets, gold chains, and black fedoras created one of the definitive styles of the 1980s. In an interview with GQ magazine, DMC said that their fashion influences came from people like the Rolling Stones and all the rock bands of the 60s and 70s. The street fashion look soon spread everywhere. And back to their footwear of choice, Adidas. After the shoe company became aware of its connection to the hip-hop trio and the song My Adidas became a hit, it led to an unexpected partnership. Now, it wasn't just athletes who could promote a shoe company. From Adidas's website, quote, the merge of art and sports not only set the everlasting street fashion trend off, but also marked the birth of non-athletic promotions in the sporting goods industry, unquote. The group from Hollis, Queens, changed not only hip-hop and music, but also fashion, and now how major companies did brand deals. It would be hard to top such a monster album like Raising Hell, but just two years later came what is my favorite Run DMC album, Tougher Than Leather. Released in 1988 and because of their success, Run DMC now had much more competition with this album. Because of them, Hip-hop was bigger than ever. 1986 had given us License to Ill by the Beastie Boys and Salt and Peppa's debut album. In 1987, we saw the release of some major hip-hop albums like Yo Bum Rush the Show by Public Enemy, Criminal Minded 
by Boogie Down Productions, Bigger and Deffer by LL Cool J, Paid in Full by Eric B. and Rakim, NWA and the Posse, How You Like Me Now by Cool Mo D, and Ice-T's debut album. In 1988, the competition got even tougher. This year gave us It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back by Public Enemy, The Great Adventures of Slick Rick, Straight Out of Compton by NWA, Follow the Leader by Eric B. and Rakim, and Strictly Business by EPMD. And those are just some of the albums released during this extraordinary time for hip-hop. But Run DMC still upped the game with Tougher Than Leather. This time, they made more use of samples than they had on previous albums. They took samples from artists like James Brown, Public Enemy, Dougie Fresh and Slick Rick, and even The Monkees. Tougher Than Leather features songs like Run's House, I'm Not Going Out Like That, Mary Mary, and my favorite, Beats to the Rhyme. Depending on how old you are, you may remember that this album was released alongside a film of the same name. Tougher Than Leather, starring Run DMC, was released in September 1988, just four months after the album. The movie is about the band trying to find out who murdered a friend of theirs. While they dig deeper, their own lives become endangered. The movie also contains musical performances and features other hip-hop artists like Slick Rick and the Beastie Boys. Tougher Than Leather, the film, didn't go over so well with critics and wasn't a box office hit. According to Box Office Mojo, the film didn't get a wide release, and Tougher Than Leather only pulled in around $3.5 million. But it was just a bump in the road, as Tougher Than Leather, the album, still went platinum in the United States and gold here in Canada. But Tougher Than Leather signifies Run DMC's last album release in the 1980s, and an interesting time in hip-hop. The vintage Run DMC sound featured on a song like Run's House was starting to get pushed to the side as new hip-hop sounds like gangster rap or the beats of DJ Premier began to emerge. Groups like Public Enemy took hip-hop in more political and conscientious directions and more radio-friendly party rap became increasingly popular. Example, the next year, in early 1989, The Grammy for Best Rap Performance for 1988 went to Parents Just Don't Understand by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. The year after, it went to Bust a Move by Young MC. And even though Public Enemy was nominated for Fight the Power, the other nominees included songs like Funky Cold Medina by Tone Loke and I Think I Can Beat Mike Tyson by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. In an interview on Library Rap, the hip-hop interviews, Daryl McDaniel shares how Tougher Than Leather was an artistically tough time for the group during an era of changing hip-hop. They wanted to take their sound and lyrical flows in new directions, but still keep that signature Run DMC sound that got them there in the first place. McDaniel shares how he didn't feel artistically present on that album and the group wasn't evolving. 
On their next album, Back From Hell, the group went in a new direction that included more profanity and even Jam Master Jay rhyming. Coming out of the 80s and after all their groundbreaking success, life became more difficult for the group. Their newest album didn't go over well critically or commercially, but the group rebounded with Down With The King, an album featuring star-studded producers like EPMD, Pete Rock, and Q-Tip from A Tribe Called Quest. Down With The King hit number 7 on the Billboard Top 200 and was certified gold in the U.S., This led to Crown Royal, their very last album, as, unfortunately, this story doesn't have a happy ending. On a cold, rainy Wednesday night in October 2002, while in a recording studio, Jam Master Jay was tragically murdered. It was a horrific end to the group that not only changed hip-hop and music, but had a profound impact on a generation of new artists. Fortunately, the legacy of the iconic trio continues to live to this day. For an art form to be successful both critically and commercially is a rare thing. Many successful artists are often one or the other, and those encompassing both are often genre-defining performers. That is the best way to describe Run DMC. Chuck D from Public Enemy calls them the chief architects of hip-hop. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame puts Run DMC alongside performers like Chuck Berry and Elvis for how they changed the world of music forever. From their Hall of Fame induction in 2009, Eminem said of them, everyone in the game today owes something to them. Eminem called them, quote, something tough, something dangerous, something beautiful, and something unique. They were the first movie stars of rap. They are the Beatles, unquote. The Beatles were obviously not the first four-piece rock band, but they took that genre and music to a level never seen before. It's the same thing with Run DMC. They weren't the first hip-hop group, but they changed hip-hop and the music industry forever. And here is a recap on just some of that legacy. Run DMC was the group with the first rap album to go number one on the R&B chart. They had the first rap album to reach the top 10 on the pop charts. The first gold, platinum, and multi-platinum rap albums come from Run DMC. They were the first rappers on the cover of Rolling Stone. They were the first rappers with a video on MTV and the only hip-hop group to appear on what was then the biggest concert in history, Live Aid. They were the first hip-hop group to be nominated for a Grammy Award. Years later, they won a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award, the first hip-hop act to do so. They started an instantly identifiable fashion trend. They helped put Adidas on the map. They changed how brands did deals and how big sporting companies work with non-athletes. The rap-rock combination was not only an era-defining sound, but Walk This Way may be one of the songs that best represents the entire 1980s. By combining rock and rap, Run DMC went on to influence other bands like The Beastie Boys, Public Enemy, and Rage Against the Machine. The sound they created 
influenced bands for decades to come. I loved Run DMC. I'll always love Run DMC, and I feel fortunate to have grown up during a time when I was able to watch them take on the world and bring hip-hop to so many people. So that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're interested in topics related to this one, here are some of my previous shows, which I mentioned throughout this one. Besides my episode on the history of breakdancing, I have episodes all about the history of MTV and one about Live Aid. But there are a ton of other episodes for you to dive back into. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Everything 80s podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss out on new episodes. So that's it for me. Thank you again so much for listening. I'm Jamie. This has been Everything 80s, but I'll be back soon with a new episode. Don't you dare miss it.